0: Thanks uh, Jacinta for reading that Bible uh, reading from John chapter 14 and uh, I must confess I'll have to talk to Pippi. Uh, it's very difficult doing that memory verse when you're colorblind. <coughs> <laughs> I think that's most unfair for people who have that um, uh, deficiency uh, in their cones uh, but nonetheless I tried my best so people have behind me realise I was doing the wrong things, (laughs) you know why. We have a sermon, that's what it says, isn't it, up there? This is different now, isn't it, is this the one? Right, okay, wow, believe anything, what's the challenge for our times? The challenge is that you can believe anything you like. Truth seems to have disappeared. Values have disappeared. We've moved from a modern world to a post-modern world. In a modern world, when when the ball hits the wicket in cricket, you know the cricket, uh, the batsman's out. In a post-modern world, the batsman's not out unless the umpire says it's out (laughs) he decides whether it's out or not William Carey was a great uh, missionary in India and William Carey was uh, really uh, instrumental in in stopping the practice of sati in in India whereby once when a man died then his wife his, his widow was burned alive on a pyre with him that was the practice of Hinduism in India there was a professor in America a couple of centuries later when this was brought up as a, a discussion point he said why should a missionary impose his values on Hindu religion and stop the practice of widows being burned alive why because that professor thought If that's their culture, let them do what they want to do. Who are we as Western culture to come and impose upon them our particular values and views? Well, the God of the Bible has a different point of view. The God of the Bible values life. The God of the Bible recognises that everyone is made in the image of God. but we're now living in a world where the values of the bible have been tossed aside we're living in a world where pluralism is alive and well and God is being gagged Uh, some of you may know Don Carson uh, a wonderful Christian uh, professor teacher in America and he wrote this book called The Gagging of God all about pluralism pluralism, inclusivism and postmodernism. And he argued there in a very powerful way, it's actually quite a big book actually, it's a real sort of doorstopper. but it, he, he argued there powerfully and this is the substance of what he was saying and let me read this to you because it might be a bit too small a font, at least it's not in a different colour. Uh, the impact of philosophical pluralism on Western culture is incalculable. It touches virtually every discipline, history, art, literature, anthropology, education, philosophy, psychology, the social sciences, even increasingly the hard sciences but it has already achieved popularity in the public square even when its existence is not recognised it achieves its greatest victory in redefining religious pluralism so as to render heretical the idea that heresy is possible. So says Don Carson, what is truth is what I consider it to be. It may not be your truth, but it's my truth. And you can't counter that because that's an assault upon me as an individual. You can't tell me what the truth is because I will decide what the truth is. I will decide what love is. I won't let God decide what love is. I will decide what is loving. And I will decide how I'm going to live my life accordingly. That's the world in which we live. And so very different to the world of Jesus. That uh, memory verse which you all now know, or at least you know the red parts or the blue parts, whatever colour they were. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except me that's an astonishing claim in today's world it was an astonishing claim in the first century in a world in which the Jews thought they knew who God was and the Jews who weren't believing in Jesus when he started his ministry in Galilee and later in Jerusalem and Judea they thought they knew God but Jesus comes as the true revelation of God So much so, if they didn't believe in Jesus, that evidence, they didn't really know God. There were the Roman gods and the Greek gods in the culture around them. And they had many gods, but Jesus says there's only one true God, and I am the way to that God. This answer, of course, is to a question. The question is asked by Thomas. Because in verse, uh, the previous verse, in verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way where I am going. Unfortunately, the New English International Version, uh, NIV, uh, mistranslates that verse when it says, you know the way to the place I'm going. There, there's no word for place in the original text. What Jesus is saying, you know the way I'm going why did jesus say to them you know the way i'm going because he'd already told them the way he was going but thomas of course misunderstands lord we don't know the way where are you going how we know the way the way that jesus is going is the way of the cross that's the way he's going that's the path he's treading walking in the ways of the lord is an old testament expression for obedience to god how you respond to god's grace and god's mercy that's the way of the lord but of course the problem for old testament saints was that their sins were ever before them yes the priest would sacrifice make sacrifices in the temple for sins but it wouldn't work forever Every day there's a sacrifice, every week there's a sacrifice, every month there's a sacrifice, every year there was a special sacrifice on the day of the atonement. No, the sacrifices of the priests couldn't take away sins permanently. It requires the death of the Son of God to take away sins permanently, to remove your sins forever. Forever. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed your sins from you, if you put your trust in Jesus. Jesus is the way. That's what he's talking about. And Jesus is the truth. It is true. How do we know that the death of a man outside of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago takes away our sins? Because God tells us. That's how we know. You wouldn't know just by observing it. Three men died that day on that hill. But only one of them was a son of God. Only one of them took our sins. Only one of them drank damnation dry. And that's Jesus. Jesus had been leading up to this in John's Gospel. Teaching his disciples, but they're a bit slow-witted not able to capture all that jesus is speaking about and so jesus speaks plainly i am the way and the truth and the life in many ways that sense in which god is able to uh, bring about this transformation is the work of the father son and holy spirit the father who prepares the way the son who is who encapsulates the truth and the spirit who brings life. And Jesus brings all these things together as the incarnate son of God. Because salvation from God involves the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's what makes Christianity so rich and so wonderful, so marvellous as we sang in that opening song this morning. How marvellous, how wonderful that my sins should be taken away. It's the work of the triune God that does that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But let me come now to the opening verses of chapter 14. In chapter 14, Jesus speaks of saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. What was troubling their hearts? Well, the previous chapter talked of Jesus saying, I'm going to go away and then I'll come again. He was talking about his death, and of course his resurrection and his coming back. But they were troubled by this. They'd been with Jesus for three years, eating, sleeping, drinking, traveling, hearing him teach, watching him do miracles, talking about the kingdom of God. Their expectations no doubt were that he'd overthrow the Romans and bring in a new kingdom for Israel, how wonderful that would be. But if he's going to leave them what will they do they'd be bereft they'd be alone do not let your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me and then he says in my father's house are many rooms but some of you who might know the older translation from King James that said in my father's house are many mansions it's always troubled me to know how you get a mansion inside a house but never mind let alone many mansions but the question is is that what Jesus is talking about is he talking about heaven now I have to caution you here I'm going to teach you something which you probably haven't thought about beforehand because you've been to too many funerals where the preacher has actually preached on this text and says Don't worry, the person who's died, God has many mansions, many rooms in heaven for you and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. Now, in a sense, of course, that's true. God prepares heaven for us when we die. But their concern of the disciples at this stage is not they're not troubled about their death. They're troubled about Jesus' departure. And so Jesus says, in my Father's house... What does the Father's house refer to? In the scriptures, the Father's house refers to the temple. Look at this verse here, from chapter 2 of John's Gospel. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my Father's house into a market. The reference to the Father's house is, of course, the, the temple. That is where God dwelt symbolically. when the the temple was established and under king solomon the glory cloud of the spirit of god filled the temple god's presence was there that's where you met with god the high priest would enter into the holy of holies but once a year to offer sins for the people of god and when he came out of the temple he would declare to israel your sins are forgiven this was my father's house but Jesus sees the father's house being overrun and destroyed but is like a marketplace. And then he makes this extraordinary statement in chapter two of John's gospel. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days time. But the temple he'd spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples record what he'd said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus speaks of a new temple, the temple of his body. We speak now, we don't come to a temple as they did in Jerusalem. This wonderful stone building in which we live, or which we meet, is not a temple. Now the temple is the people of God, gathered here you are the temple you are the church you are members of the body of christ the old temple was to be destroyed in 70 a.d never to be built again why because god has built a new temple a new temple in which god's spirit dwells so look again at the opening verses of chapter 14 if you have your bibles open there in my father's house are many And the word is not room, the word is dwellings. In fact, the word here in the original only occurs twice in the New Testament. It occurs in this verse and it occurs in verse 23 of this chapter. Have a look then at what Jesus says in verse 23. Is that verse 23 now? That's it, there we are. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our dwelling with them. The word for home is exactly the same word which they translate as room in verse 2. But if you translate the words what it really means, dwellings, what is verse 23 saying? If you love Jesus... The Father will love you and we, Father and Son, will come and make our dwelling with you. This is not a reference to heaven. This is a reference to earth. What Jesus is teaching his disciples is that we are going to come and take up temple residence in you. That's an extraordinary promise. That's an extraordinary fact. That's an extraordinary experience for Christians that God dwells in you. When Paul speaks to the Corinthians, he talks about the church as being a holy temple, a temple of God. And another chapter in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, he says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God loves you so much that he's come to dwell in you, he is with you. You are never alone. You see, when you come to church, you come as the temple of God. And when you go home, you go off as individual temples. You are never outside the blessing of the presence of God. Not only is is Jesus in you, the Father is in you. And the way that takes place is that the Spirit is in you. John's Gospel is going to elucidate in these chapters in the upper room discourse as we call them how the counsellor, another counsellor whom Jesus refers to as the Spirit, will come to you. The term Holy Spirit actually occurs only three times in John's Gospel. It occurs in the opening chapters when John the Baptist comes and he says, I baptise you with water, but he who follows me will baptise you with the Holy Spirit in this very chapter of chapter 14 jesus speaks of the holy spirit coming to you the holy spirit indwelling you and the final reference is at the end of john's gospel when jesus has been raised from the dead and he breathes on the 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 disciples and says receive the holy spirit that of course was a picture of pentecost the day of pentecost when the spirit of god would come and revive, renew, and indwell the followers of Jesus. Indwell the followers of Jesus so that they, the Spirit of God would bring, as it were, the Father and the Son into our lives. No other religion in the world has that concept because Christianity is the true religion. It's not one of many pluralistic as our society might be it is the only way to the living God it is the only way to the God who created us it is the only way to the God who redeemed us by his son some people say why did it bother Jesus dying why why couldn't God just save us well that misunderstands the seriousness of sin We confessed our sins this morning we recognize that we need to be cleansed we'll be saying the lord's prayer later today forgive us our sins because we know we need to have our sins forgiven but the wonderful thing if you know jesus is that jesus has taken your sins away and the father has forgiven you yes sin is still a sad present reality in our lives but it no longer dictates our lives it no longer consumes us we are no longer those whose sin is describes every activity we do we are the saints we are those who belong to jesus we are those in whom the spirit of god has taken up temple residence let me remind you of these words again In my Father's temple there are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And I go and prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to be with myself. Just as a husband takes a bride, so Jesus takes us to be with himself. That where I am, you may be also. You are where Jesus is. Jesus is in you. When two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of you. The temple presence of God, both individually and collectively, is there. So when he finishes this, uh, this chapter, he says, you heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You'd be glad because unless I go to the Father, I cannot come back. The big difference between the Spirit of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that we have the Spirit of the Ascended Christ. We have the Spirit of fulfillment. We have the Spirit of the one who has died on the cross, risen again and sits now at the father's right hand and because god in three persons is omnipresent is not constrained by space or time god is in heaven but god is with us and we now have the fulfillment and the accomplishment of what christ has done giving us the blessing of sins forgiven something which abraham did not have he knew he was forgiven but he was forgiven on the basis of a future event. We now are forgiven on the basis of a past event. We have seen the glory of God. We have seen the cost to the Father to forgive our sins and the glory of God to fill our lives. Why? To change us from one degree of glory to another so we might be more and more like Jesus. What a wonderful father we have who has many dwellings in his temple and you are those temples and we are the recipients of God's wonderful spirit, the spirit of the risen Christ, that we might grow like Christ and, as he says, do greater works than Jesus did. What does that mean? To spread the message of the gospel to others that more and more people might bow the knee to jesus and might know that he is the way the truth and the life for it is only through him that we come to god our heavenly father let's pray father we thank you that you are a god who loves us despite our folly our frailty our foolishness and our sins. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his life and death and resurrection and for the gift of his spirit that we might live with you forever as part of your temple as we look forward to that great gift of the new heavens, the new earth where the peace of God will last forever. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.